Luke chapter 10. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt hopeless and you were like, man, I just do not know what to do. Maybe it was because of a situation of even somebody else and you're like, man, I don't know how to help this person. I, you just feel you can't do anything. Like there is nothing physically you can do. There's nothing verbally you can say. You, you just feel hopeless. You ever been there? I'm sure most of us could say, yeah, we've, we've been there. Here's the reality. Whether people know it or not, in here, outside of here, that is the condition of everyone, everyone outside of Jesus Christ. There is nothing they can do. Hopeless. Hopeless. Now, if you were just to sit and rest in that thought for a while, that would weigh pretty heavy. I mean, if I just said, all right, drop the mic on that and leave. I mean, be like, okay, thank you. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's gloom and doom, right? When you think about the reality of that, that's the condition of billions of people today in this world. There is nothing they can do about their condition, their sinful heart. In fact, the Bible says the wages of our sin is death. There's nothing we can do to fix that. There's nothing. But we know, and we just sung about it in two beautiful songs, that there is hope. Even though we can't do anything, there is hope. And he has a name. His name is Jesus. He's our living hope. And we know that. We, we know that part of the story. But I want to take you back because there are billions who don't. They don't. And so in light of that, we see today the mission of Jesus. To carry that hope and what his plan is. What the plan of God has been since the beginning of time. For you and I, and how you and I get to play a part in that. And I don't know about you this morning, but I don't think there's any greater love than the fact that God calls you and I to join him in what he's doing. Because there is no greater work in the world than to live for the glory of God. And he says, you, 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 me, me, come on, let's do this. And there is no greater love. And so today, what is that work? What is it? Well, we see it in this text today, and I want us to, to look... We're going to see four things come out of this text. Uh, first, that the harvest is plentiful. Second, that as we go and work in the harvest, what do we do? And then second, we see that it's hard. It's not always easy. And then fourth, and lastly, there is no greater joy. All right? There is no greater joy. I mean, Disney World can't even compete with this. All right? It can't. Right? Winning the World Cup, right? Some of you guys are like, what's that? All right. <laughs> uh, nothing can compare to this. Nothing. No greater joy. And so let's look at the text. Look at verse 1 through 2. After this, the Lord appointed 70 
others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. Now, let me stop there for a second. There's a lot in this first verse. First thing we see is it says the Lord. Who is the Lord? The Lord is Jesus. He is Lord over all. He's the creator of all. He's made all, everything for him uh, and through him, the Bible tells us. Jesus is Lord over all. And he appoints the 70. Here it says 70. In your translation, you're reading, it may say 72. You might be saying, why the discrepancy? Really, it's not a big deal, okay? Um, in early manuscripts, some said 70, said 72. There's a lot of people that... Um, have tried over the years to defend one, defend the other. Really, it's not a big deal, okay? Um, as a Southern Baptist church, we would land on 72 just because it's a higher number, all right? And we just always round up or add to it. I don't know. Um, so the 70 or 72 disciples, okay? So you have this, this large group of disciples, and then you have... Uh, what we've seen before, these 12. We have these 12 disciples who are the, the senior leaders, eventually will be big and, and have a huge part in leading the church in the first century. And so you see this 12, and now you see the 70 or 72. And so Luke is the only one that points this out. And what he wants us to see, I believe, is to see this, this movement and how it's growing. It's a very marginalized movement, by the way, Christianity. And, and so... Jesus takes these few, and he grows it. And this mission, and Luke's going to write about it, will expand, as we see in Acts, to worldwide. From the 12 to the 70, and bigger to you and I today. And will continue to grow. And so we see this with these disciples. And he will send them out in pairs to every city and place where he himself is going to go. And he was saying to them this, the harvest, verse 2, is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. So what do we see here? Jesus uses this familiar language about agriculture and farming, um, using this word harvest to speak of, of gathering in, uh, going and, and collecting. You think about gathering in a harvest Whatever the crop may be, you go in and, and gather it. And that's the picture he wants to paint here, that these are to go out and gather in those who are chosen for salvation, those that he would call his elect. And so Jesus is saying, there are many out there today that do not know Christ. They're, they're pre-Christian, right? And you are to go and to share the gospel with them that they would trust in Jesus and that you would gather them into the family of God. And as Lord of the harvest, who Jesus is, he is sovereign over people coming to faith, and he is also sovereign over the means of, of sending and sharing the gospel. As those who go out and love people, serve people, uh, to share the gospel with as many non-Christians as they can, Jesus is sovereign over that work. And that very work is the work of the church. It's the primary reason why the church exists, not the only reason, but one of the primary reasons is to introduce people to Jesus Christ. Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1-8, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in your home area, okay, in your neighborhood, in your community. I want you to be witnesses in Judea, Samaria, in the regions, in different places you go to. I want you to be my witnesses to the uttermost parts of the world. In France, Serbia, in Kansas, like some of you guys have just in the last couple of weeks. In Houston, a group's going to go down there in a 
couple weeks as well. I want you to go and be my witnesses. I want you to be my ambassador, 2 Corinthians 5.20. I want you to be my representatives in the world to let people know your story of how you were once dead in your sin, but now you are a new creation. And now you can tell people how they can be reconciled to God. That's what he's called us to do. That's our primary reason as a church. And so I would tell you this, what Jesus is saying to this group of 70, it is about Jesus, and it is about introducing people to him. That's what he wants us to do. Now Jesus models this for us. In John 17, 18, the Bible tells us, Jesus does, that the Father has sent him. Jesus is God. He is God in the flesh, and he was sent as a missionary, right, on a mission to bring people unto himself. He had come to a time, a place, to a people, a culture with a language to bring the life and love of God to them, that they would have eternal life. But Jesus is also ascending God. The last part of John 17, 18 says, as the Father has sent me, so have I sent you and you and you and me. Jesus is sending us. He's ascending God. And he has called his followers, his disciples, to every city, town, school, businesses, homes, to love, serve, and seek the good of people in those cities, that as many people as possible would know the gospel and come to know him. He has told us to go, just as he told his disciples, into all nations, making disciples. Just as Kevin was talking about earlier, that is what we exist for to make other disciples, to make other followers, that they would be baptized, that they would be identified with Jesus Christ, begin to follow him and grow in the ways of the Lord as we teach them the ways of Jesus Christ. And Jesus promises as we go, he says, lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age. That's what we're called to. And we're promised that Jesus will be with us. He's sovereign over it. Because why? It's his work and it's his will that's what the Father sent him to do. So there's a few things we see here. First of all, you have this group of 70 or 72. We don't know their names, and I love that. I love that. Because there are a lot of things that go on in this church, and you maybe don't know people's names, or you maybe don't put this event or this happening with a name or a name. But you know what? What that means is there are people that aren't concerned about their name and their name being known or a title but they're just concerned about being faithful. And that's what these 70 were about. They go in pairs. I think doing ministry is important in pairs, in groups. In groups, why? I think there's accountability. There's accountability. Um, to share the work with others is, is an awesome thing. There's also times when maybe you go out and there's false accusations against you as well. And this just simply helps honest people be honest. And so I love this, that they go out in pairs. But I want you to hear today, we don't just exist. I want you to get this, to survive. Now, there are some days as a parent, right, you just want to survive, right? That's, that's maybe the goal. I can just get through this day, or if my kids can just get through this day, that'd be great, right? Last night, it was my dog at 3 a.m. in the morning. If he could just get through the night, because he almost didn't. Um, just kidding. I don't know. Maybe not. Uh, but that's not the goal. It's not just to survive. The goal is that we exist for the salvation of others, that they would know Jesus. 
That's why we have the relationships we have, the roles we have in this world, is God, through those avenues, would use us to share the gospel. And so as you go, as we go, what do we do? What do we do? Well, look at verse 2 again. He tells us to do this. Therefore, beseech the Lord of a harvest to send out labors into his harvest. First thing we're called to do is pray. We pray. Now, this doesn't mean uh, Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to go pray for more workers because they're few. And so it doesn't mean, okay, I'm praying this morning for more workers. I hope the guy next to me goes and does the work, right? I mean, we hope that happens, but the, the goal of this is Jesus is saying, I want you to pray, and I want you to pray for more workers, right? Because that means lives are changed, people are coming to know Christ, discipled, and they're joining the work of the harvest, right? We want to pray for that. We, we want that. May the few be, be many. I mean, that's the prayer. But as we're praying, what's happening is God's changing our hearts, that we would be less inward and more outward, that we would be more self-denying instead of about our time and our schedule and our calendar, but that instead God would start working on our hearts and that we ultimately would be the answer to the prayer. I think that's the ultimate goal. And oh, yeah, that others would also come and join in this mission. So pray, pray. We need to pray in life and ministry. We need prayer. Why? Because this work is impossible with man. It is only possible with God. God changes hearts. God changes lives. We don't, but he uses us to do it. And miracles happen because of the Holy Spirit working through the lives of you and ultimately me as we're obedient to the call to be sent out. We pray. I will tell you this. One of the things that I continue to learn and continue to struggle but learn with as well is the greatest arrogance in ministry is doing ministry without prayer. Got to pray. Got to pray. So they go out. They're praying, prayer walking. They're sent out. They go and they're sent out just as Jesus has. So look at verse 3. So not only do they pray, but it says verse 3, Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So we, as we go, we also got to be watchful for wolves as well, right? There are people out there. What do wolves do? Wolves take. They devour. They destroy. They want to kill, right? They take. And what are the ways that they take? They t- try to take by lies. They try to take by deception. They try to take by false teaching, heresies, errors, you name it, moral compromise. And so Jesus says, watch your life, your ministry. That's what Paul told Timothy. Because there are wolves always fighting against the shepherd to get his sheep. And so sheep got to be led. They got to be fed. They got to be protected. That's one of the reasons I love the role of elder. It's what the elders seek to do, not just as an organization, but also as a people, as a body, to be there for people. And so be watchful for wolves. Also, look at verse 5. We're going to skip verse 4. We'll come back to it. Verse 5 through 6. He says here, Whatever house you enter, first say peace. Be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, will return to you. And so Jesus is saying, Next, as you go, seek the peace and the salvation of everyone. As you go to house to house, as you're offered hospitality from people to stay there, he says here, bring a blessing of peace. As you encounter people who receive that peace, accept that peace. Accept the peace of God. Accept the peace that 
Jesus offers. He says, give them a blessing of peace. This is shalom. This was a common Jewish blessing that wished the fullness of Yahweh's blessing on the recipient. It's as Jesus says, peace I leave with you in John 14. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. He says, give that kind of peace. Now some will receive and some will not be receptive to it. He says, it's all right, it's all right. But then look at verse 4. So not only do we seek peace and salvation of everyone, we also have to depend on God as we go out. Because it's not about us, right? Remember, we're to pray. We're to lean on the Lord for strength. Also, in what we have. Remember these guys, this is a short-term, okay, trip. They're not going out for a long uh, extended period of time. But as they do, look at verse 4. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes. Greet no one on the way. Why does he not want them to say hi to people and greet them on the way? All right? I mean, I think he, they could go like this. I, I mean, but they, there's, there's not an official greeting he wants them to have on the way. Why? He doesn't want them to waste time. Because there's a mission. There's a job. There's a role that he has for them. He wants them to get into these cities and start spending time with the people there and sharing the gospel. He also doesn't want them to take money with them or shoes with them as well. Why? Because he wants them to be dependent on him. Look at verse 7 through 8. He says, stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the labor is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you. God is going to provide through other people the means you need, the finances, the, the food. And as they stay with host, they're not to bounce around from one person to the next. One, not to insult, but also two, to not waste time. And God would provide for them because this work is worthy of its wages. And so God provides for us as we go out, as we're sent out, as we're faithful to share the gospel. He will provide as we're dependent on him. And then look at verse nine. He says here, as you go, heal those in the city who are sick. And say to them this, so healing and proclaim, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So first, as you go, heal the sick. They're going to have authority and power to do this. God is going to work through them to allow people who are blind now to see, people who couldn't hear now to hear, and so on. The healings provide an opportunity for what? The proclamation, the preaching, the sharing of the gospel. And Jesus tells them to do that. Let the kingdom of God be known that it has come near. So they're to tell people the Messiah has come. His name is Jesus. He is the Messiah, and the Messianic king, kingdom is imminent. It is near, it's close. It is here because he is here. And so they declare that message to the people they encounter. Now as they do, they're going to face some tough things. It's not going to be all just easy. Ministry just isn't easy, right? Church life isn't just easy. Being a disciple is not just easy. Look at verse uh, 11. Even the dust of your, or excuse me, verse 10. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say this. Even though the dust of your city which clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. We've talked about this before. Jews would do this, right? They would enter into a Gentile city. They would symbolically, outside of that city, wipe off the dust of their feet, saying that they were wiping off the uncleanliness of a Gentile, right? And so Jesus is using that same terminology, and so that's for the Jews' sake, right? For them to understand, if you reject the message of the kingdom of God, right, we will wipe that off the dust of our feet, and we will 
move on. But I think what they will encounter, and we encounter it too, is there's two types of people in the world. I mean, I think that's how life boils down to. People who accept the message of the kingdom, the gospel, accept Jesus, or they reject it. And that's what they will find as they go. He says, as you go, for those who reject, listen to what lands on them. And this is, this is the, the doom, this is the gloom, this is the weightiness, right, of the world today where people reject this. And they think in some way they can fill the void inside of them. They can fill that chasm between them and what their soul ultimately desires, whether it's through relationships, whether it's through substance, whether it's through success. I mean, you can fill in the blank. But those who seek that, listen to what he says. He says this in verse 12. He says, I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. You remember Sodom and Gomorrah? You remember that? He's saying, hey, listen, it'll be more tolerable for them in the day of judgment when it comes than for these people in the cities you're going to go to who reject the gospel. And then look at verse 13 and 14 with the same tone. He says, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. These are cities they will visit. For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre, Sidon, these are two godless cities we learn about in the Old Testament. He says, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre, Sidon, in the day of judgment than for you. These guys are going to see miracles, right? As these disciples go out, people are going to be healed, lives are going to be changed. And he says to listen, it will be not more tolerable for these godless, wicked, pagan cities in the Old Testament that face the judgment of God than it will be for you because you are seeing it right in front of your face, yet you do not get it. And you reject it. And then look what he says in verse 15. And you, Capernaum. What do we know about Capernaum? Hometown of Peter, Right? And where Jesus centralized a lot of his ministry was at Capernaum. And he says, Capernaum, he says, will you not be exalted to heaven? Will you? And the answer is no. You'll be brought down to Hades. What's the point? You see Jesus. You see his love. You see his work. You see what he's doing. You see Peter and his life was changed. And yet, you reject it. And he says, because of that, you will pay forever with a payment of the wages of your sin, which is hell. That's just not fire and brimstone preaching, right? That's just reality. And it's sad. But that's the weight of reality of people we all know. And then look at verse 16. He says, the one who listens to you, disciples, listens to me, Jesus says, speaking of himself. And the one who rejects you, disciples, rejects me, Jesus speaking of himself. And he who rejects me, Jesus says, rejects the one who sent me, rejects the Father. And so this is great, I think, encouragement also for the disciples, because as they go, they have a role to share, to heal, to be used by the power of God. But it's not their responsibility for people to accept or reject. Their role is just to be faithful. Faithful. 
And they're not just rejecting the disciples, but they're rejecting Jesus and ultimately the Father. So it's going to be hard. Making disciples, sharing the gospel is not easy. We will face rejection. We will. But we have to let people know why. Because the judgment and the reality of hell is real. It's real. And it's easy to go through the day, through the week, with our lives and not think a minute about the weight of this. Right? I mean, it is. But I think we have to be reminded of it. And look what happens. And we'll roll pretty quickly here. He says, the 70 returned with joy. So they listen to Jesus. He sent them out. They go, and they come back after doing the work and the ministry of this short-term mission trip. They've prayed walked. They've shared the gospel. They've depended on him. Um, they've seeked the peace of people, salvation of others. People have been healed. They've held out the gospel, the hope. They've done all that. They come back, and it says in verse 17, they returned with joy. And they said to Jesus, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They're happy. Why are they happy? Because they have participated in the work of God, even in the midst of opposition, even in the work uh, or face of rejection. But they especially rejoiced over what? The display of God's power as they were able to have evident control over demons in the name of Jesus. Wow. That's the power of God working in and through people who are dependent on him. That's what God wants to do, and that's what they experience, and their joy is maxed. But listen to what Jesus says. I love this picture. He said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Wow. What does that mean? It means this. Jesus is describing their work. Jesus is describing their ministry. And he's saying, as you healed, as you shared the gospel, as you depended on me, as you prayed, and as people's lives were changed, even when you faced opposition, but you just wiped off your feet and you kept going, this is what Jesus says. It was like Satan was falling in complete humiliation. I just saw triumph, heaven over hell. As you did the work of ministry. That's what he's saying. And that's what the work of ministry is. You know what I love about on this other side of this wall? That's happening there. This morning in the lives of kids. That's happening here. As you guys are going on a mission trip this week. That's happening there. Jesus sees it as though heaven conquering hell. Because guess what? That's what's happening. And you and I get to be a part of that. And then he continues in verse 19. He says, Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and, over, uh, and, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. There's something greater? He says, Yes, there is, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. What do you think? I mean, is that pretty cool? I mean, don't just get excited about, hey, you get to go out and, and, and do this stuff. He, he wants them to be excited about it, but he wants them to know there's something even greater. You're known by Jesus. He knows you, and you know him. And one day, when he comes back, those who have overcome, those who have been faithful to follow him, Revelation 3, 5 says, they will be clothed in white garments. And Jesus will not erase their name from the book of life. 
And it says about us who are faithful and overcome to the end, he says, I will confess that person's name before my father and before his angels. Wow. He says, rejoice over that. And then look what happens. We'll wrap it up. He says in verse 21, at the very time, at that very time, Jesus starts rejoicing. You imagine Jesus rejoicing? I don't know, man. I would love to be there to see him rejoicing. He rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father and who the Father is, is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Why is Jesus rejoicing in this moment? Because he's standing before these 70 who have been so faithful and demonstrated the power of God as those who have faith, who are dependent on God. And he's standing before them and he's like, in the Holy Spirit, so you have the triune God present here, and he's saying this, Father, I love how you work. In all the human intelligence in the world, People cannot get out of their predicament and their problem. Cannot change their sinful heart. You have the smartest, most richest guy. But they can't know Jesus. But yet the most humble, poor, marginalized person in the world can have revealed to them the greatest story the greatest news, and the greatest hope. And Jesus is like, God, what a plan, and what a way. Thank you for letting me be part of it. Thank you for letting me reveal this to these before me. And he is excited. And then he says these, in closing to him, he says, turning to the disciples, he said privately, blessed are the eyes which see the things you have seen. The things you see, for I say to you that many prophets, kings, wish to see the things which you see and did not see them and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. There is truly nothing greater than to see, hear, be a part of the work of God. There's nothing greater in this world than harvest work. And Jesus says, when you jump into it and when you see and hear what happens, there is nothing else. There is nothing else in this world that could top it. Nothing. So here's what I want to encourage you. I want you to see and hear the greatest thing in the world. Cool thing about is about it. We we don't have to just go on some mission trip. We can, and I think that's what's cool about this. And I encourage many of you too, short term, shoot, long term. But what's cool about this is he's saying you get to see that in everyday life. As you invest in people, as you love people, as you share with people, as you care for people, as you hold out the gospel to them, as you build a relationship with them, as you pray for them, you get to see and hear the greatest thing in the world, and that's the work of God. And there is nothing better than that. I don't want you to miss out on that. I don't want you to miss out on that. And I don't want you to miss out on having your name 
recorded in heaven. The Bible tells us that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all owe our life. We all deserve death for eternity, separated from God. We all deserve that. We all are owed that. That's our wage. But Jesus stepped in, and he said, hey, listen, I'm standing in willingly for everyone that would turn to me because I love them and I care for them, and they are hopeless. They can do nothing. But if they would just bend their knee and trust me, they can have eternal life. And instead of them paying that wage, I paid it for them. That's the story of the gospel. That's what Jesus did. And so if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, man, I pray that you would turn to him, you trust him. Second, for others that have, hey, this is, this is what life should be for us. We should be like these 70 daily as we go out, doing what they did, sent. That's what Jesus has called us to. He's called us to be sent, that we would see and hear the greatest things in the world. And that's what the kingdom of God's about here on earth. As we hold up the name of Jesus everywhere we go and share him with others. Let's pray.